Our text today is uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. You can turn there with me, uh, or you don't have to, and I will just read it to you. Um, In verse 5, it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they might be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we lift you up today, God, and uh, we just set you at the most place in our life, God, we, uh, we thank you that in the midst of our brokenness and, uh, and our weakness and our selfishness, God, it says you came down and you pursued us. God, I pray the weight of that, the full meaning of that would be alive to us today as we unpack your word, God, seeds would be planted in the hearts of your people and it would change minds and it would transform hearts and it would set us back into that right standing of being children of God. God, I pray an anointing on my lips, Lord. I do not have the strength or ability to uh, communicate the fullness of what you're saying here, Lord, but by your Holy Spirit, I ask that you uh, do a work here today in your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So our text today is verse 9, where it says, uh, Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And just even when we say that word Father, um, for a lot of us, there's some tension, there's uh, something to wrestle with there. It might be that uh, the word Father brings up some wounds for you from your earthly father, It might be that uh, this idea of a heavenly father, this universal father is confusing. Uh, Who is he and and who are really his children? That can be confusing. So if you have issues with that concept of God as the father, uh, just hang on because we're going to get into that today. But whatever the case, we need to recognize that this statement by Jesus when he says, pray like this, our father who's in heaven, that this is bold And this is profound, and this is a game-changing event that happens here in how we relate to God. Let's start with a little bit of context of the scripture. Um, When Christ said, 
pray like this. This is unique because rarely in scripture does Jesus say, do this or do it like this. He usually speaks in parables or he answers a question with another question. Um, But here he says, pray like this. Pray like me, our father who is in heaven. And contextually for uh, the Jewish people who would have been listening to this, it would have been a bit shocking because the, the Jewish people didn't refer to God as a father, as in a, a, a child-to-father relationship. Um, the Jews, they, they proclaimed God as a heavenly father. There was a prayer, the, the Kadesh. It was the holy prayer. And, it, and it, it spoke of God, the heavenly father, exalted to the high place over his creation. Um, but there was a distance. God was distant. Uh, they would cry out to God, our Heavenly Father, for protection of the nation of Israel, for f- the forgiveness of the people's sins. But God didn't use, Jesus didn't use uh, our Heavenly Father here. He used a word, Abba. It's an Aramaic word. And it's the word that a, a Jewish child would have used to talk about their earthly father. And this is shocking because... Jesus is the only one who has this relationship. We don't have, uh, the the Jewish people at this time didn't have a concept or relationship with God the Father like this. In Mosaic law, God was, he was vast and he was mysterious. He revealed himself in a cloud and in thunder and lightning and earthquakes. Um, He wasn't this personal, relational God. But Jesus used the word Abba, like my father on earth, this relational Phrase. So when Jesus says the prayer, our Father, this is more than just a command. It's not a command, it's an invitation. Only Jesus has this relationship with the Father, and He says, Look, guys, pray like me. You can pray this because of me. When Jesus was baptized by John, it says that the heavens tore open and the Spirit descended like a dove on Jesus as He came out of the water. And the God the Father pronounced, he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And now Jesus is saying, you can pray like this. The commentator Michael Wilkins puts it like this. He says, although we refer to this prayer as the Lord's prayer, really it should be called the disciples' prayer because Christ is setting an example for how we should pray. So it's worth us asking, who is God the Father? Because as Dave pointed out last week, if this isn't a religious exercise, this is meant to be a relational thing, or we are setting God at the center of our prayer life. We should know who this person is, right? So let's unpack that a little bit. As I mentioned before, there's some tension that happens when we talk about Father. There might be some questions that that get raised in your heart, in your mind, Uh, One might be, is God a universal father, this great spirit in the sky, uh, and all creation is his children? And another question might be, is God as messed up as my earthly father? When I read the Lord's Prayer, um, I can't help but think how misused it is often. The first thing I think about is uh, high school football and um, that on Friday night, there are hundreds, uh, thousands of uh, high school kids that take a knee in the locker room and say the Lord's Prayer and then get up and scream a bunch of expletives about what they're going to do to the team that night and just <laughs> slight misuse of context. Um, but seriously, when Jesus says, pray like this, our Father who's in heaven, that leads us to believe there's a relationship here. We're to address him as our Father. 
But whose father is he? Is he everyone's father? The Bible has a really clear answer on this. In John chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, it says that he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Let me read verse 12 again. But to all who received him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So are we all created in his image? Yes. And does God love all of his creation? In a sense, yes, he said it's good, and he's been working to redeem it forever. But to say that heavenly father is a term to be used by everyone is just not accurate. Isn't that harsh, though? I mean, it's not fair, right? I mean, God created these people, but he doesn't call him his children. Listen to what it says in verse 11. Again, it says, he came down. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Tim Keller, who's uh, the pastor at Redeemer Church in New York City, he speaks really well about this. He says, um, to say that the Father's love is available to anyone and everyone, regardless of their choice or acceptance of Christ, completely devalues what Christ did on the cross. Why would Christ need to go to the cross and take on the wrath of God if everyone could receive this love without that sacrifice? And, And Jesus nails this home in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. What Keller's saying here is Jesus paid an unimaginable price that bought us access to the Father. We can't call God Father in a real sense, this father-childlike Uh, relationship without accepting the invitation of Christ. Think of it like this. Uh, We have families in our church that are uh, going through the process of adoption. When a child's adopted into a family, in a sense, they're given an invitation to join this family and receive all the rights and privileges of being a child in that family. But let's say this child's older. Uh, Let's say that this A child has a choice, has a free will to decide whether to accept or reject that invitation of adoption. Let's say that child rejects that invitation. Does that child still receive all of the rights and all of the privileges, all of the intimacy and relationship of that family? No, they don't. And it's the same with God. There's a separation. Listen, read through the Bible from cover to cover, and you see that there is a separation that happens when God's creation rejects the Father. So does this mean that God is some kind of a a dictator, uh, just kind of lording over us? Um, If you read Christopher Hitchens, who is a brilliant, well-written man, um, he's an atheist author, Uh, he's brilliant, He just happens to be wrong about everything. (laughs) He describes God of the Bible as akin to like Joseph Stalin or Saddam Hussein, who just lords over their people, their mindless servants, uh, treating them as they are the father-like authority, and 
and rewarding those who are, who are obedient, but waiting and watching for us to fall and us to make a mistake so he can damn us to hell forever and set an example and everyone else turn in fear to submission to God. Uh, with all due respects to, to Mr. Hitchens, who's a, a very smart man, he uh, has just grossly misunderstood and miscommunicated who the Father is in his Father's heart. In fact, God's love is so great and so amazing, so enormous the lengths that he goes to draw us unto himself, he takes the initiative. Remember our verse, it says that he came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. Every other religion in the world says, you must do this and this and this to ascend towards heaven to become acceptable. Christianity is the only religion that says, God realized from the very beginning, read it in, in Genesis chapter 15, when God makes his covenant with Abraham, he realizes at that time, at that moment, you and I are not good enough that we do not have the ability to make things right, to come back into right standing. So instead, he becomes a sacrifice and he makes things right and he sets us back as his children. God is not a universal God. He's not a universal father. He's a father deeply in love with his creation who sent his only son that whosoever believes in him can earn the right to be called a child of God. He leaves that choice in our hands. The second part of this tension with thinking of God as the father um, relates to our earthly fathers. And let's just say it. I mean, our earthly fathers are a mess, right? No, okay, you're good. All right. That's cool. <laughs> My earthly dad was a mess. Um, let me say this. Not all dads are a mess, right? Some of you have great relationships with your father, and you know what? That is a blessing. That is awesome. But unfortunately, today in this church and everywhere you go, if you spend time talking to people, the vast majority of us have painful scars left by our earthly fathers, emotional scars, psychological scars, maybe even physical scars from your father. So how can we relate to him as a heavenly father when we're dealing with this brokenness and pain and wounds from our earthly father? I'll tell you what, I can relate to this tension. I was born um, to a mother and father who were very young when they had me, and they were a mess. Uh, they were broken, and they were dealing with their own wounds and things. Um, it's my mom's birthday today, by the way. Happy birthday, mom. She's not here, but she'll probably listen to this. So happy birthday, mom. Sorry for throwing you under the bus. <clears throat> so my, my mom and dad, they were a mess. Um, and I don't know what age it was that I realized my dad was an alcoholic. But I can tell you there were a lot of prayers that went up begging for it to stop, begging for it to change. See, my dad always had a temper. His fuse was super short. And you had alcohol into it, and it was literally fuel on the fire, and he would get violent, violent, violent. My parents got divorced when I was eight years old, and honestly, I was relieved. I thought uh, him being out of the house is just going to set things right, and we'll have some peace. But it didn't really change that much. There was still fighting constantly, uh, arguing, yelling police cars at the house, uh, it was anything but peaceful. 
And the routine was that my mom would pack, uh, I had a little brother, she would pack our stuff and then take us to uh, my dad's house every other weekend. And it was a weekend, driving to his place, it was in the evening, we pull into the parking lot and uh, my mom goes to the door and the lights are off and the door's locked and taped to the door is a note. And I have this vision as a little boy sitting in the car and my mom walking back reading this note and she sits down and says, he's gone. He's gone. And that was it. I never heard from my dad again, never saw him again, never got a Christmas or birthday card, not a phone call, as if he just disappeared from the face of the earth. He was gone. Not too long after that, my mom got remarried, and she married a a gentle, sweet man who who loved her, and I I loved that about him. Um, But there was a catch. He had two boys of his own. And it didn't take long for me to realize that my standing with my stepdad was not the same as the standing my stepbrothers had with their dad. And it's weird to call them stepbrothers. We never use that terminology. They're great guys, and I love them. Um, But nevertheless, the overwhelming feeling, my understanding in my heart was um, rejection, rejection, rejection growing up. I could never think of myself or conceive of myself as being worthy of being loved by a father. This got better. Uh, Things began to heal as I got older. I accepted Christ when I was young. um, And I had this sense that God was very real and, and he was worth trusting in. And I can't explain why. It doesn't make sense to think that, but... There was just this sense that, that he was the only thing worth trusting in. And, and as I look back now, I can see people that God put in my life, youth pastors and coaches and teachers and people that just sowed into me and began to heal those wounds of rejection through my life. But I'll tell you, for the majority of growing up, I could never reconcile this heavenly father, loving father from heaven uh, with this brokenness and, and woundedness in my heart. I don't think it's too far-fetched to say that many of you have similar wounds. I think if we took time to tell our stories today, um, we would have stories of fathers who are abusive, uh, stories of abandonment. Maybe you were rejected. Maybe you were never able to live up to the expectations of your father. You really sense a conditional love. Maybe you were never told how precious you really are. Maybe you never heard uh, a father's voice say, I love you and I delight in you. Let me share some things with you that that really brought healing to my life. I began, uh, in my 20s, I began to uh, spend more time in the word and, and reading it and listening to it, recordings of the word and just letting it wash and transforming my mind and healing and restoring my heart. And God the Father and Christ became very real and relevant to me as I spent time in the word and just listened to God's constant pursuit of me and, and of his people. I would read and reread scriptures and new things would, would pop out every time. The other thing was prayer. Prayer was transformative 
in my life. Um, in, in my mid-20s, I really was in a place where I was falling in love with Jesus in just a whole new way. And, and he was transforming my heart and my life and, and healing things in places that I hadn't gone to in a really long time. I'll say this. My wife, Noelle, was transforming. To be totally honest, uh, we got married when we were 23 years old. And she married a broken, insecure little boy. And I think she knew it. <laughs> and yet she did it anyway. Noel's love has just been unconditional and generous and forgiving. And it's, it's just made me a different person. It's, it's put God's love into this tangible thing for me. And, and Noel and I spent time in our early 20s before we had kids um, in these intense times of prayer uh, with our church and, and our church family, and we would pray for each other, and, and we would petition the Lord for places we needed healing and, and God to do things, and, uh, and we would just press into the presence of God, and then we would just wait and listen and let him speak to us. It was in uh, one of these times of really intense prayer that... Um, Something happened that just changed everything for me. Um, God gave me a vision. And when, when I say vision, I'm not talking like a dreamlike state or like watching something on TV. I'm, I'm telling you it's, it's tangible. It's alive. It's as if, as real as I'm standing here right now. And, and here's the vision. I'm walking down a, a dark hallway. It's almost pitch black. And as I walk, I, I get these feelings, this sense of fear and loneliness and uh, rejection coming back and, and trying to understand where is, where's God, where, where's my comfort, where's my protection. And then all of a sudden, to my left, this door opens and this blinding white light, blinding white light comes into this, this hallway. And as I get closer to it, see Christ and his arms are open to me and he's laughing with joy as if I was a long lost friend that found my way home and he puts his arms around me and he's kissing my face and, and he's just laughing and he's holding me and I'm telling you in that moment the love that I felt was so real so alive that things just began to fall off of me fear and rejection and isolation and I could have just stayed there but Christ releases me and he he ushers me towards a throne the God, God the Father's throne and I can't tell you what what he looks like it's just this presence this this huge presence and as I get closer to the throne I get smaller and smaller and smaller like Maggie my two-year-old if you've seen her and she just says homie 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 I get closer and closer to this throne and, and I'm like a little child and the father picks me up and he sets me on his lap and he just strokes my hair and he kisses my face and he's just holding and delighting in me and at that moment it's like no bad thing had ever happened to me. I've had this vision two or three times in my whole life and every time it's like living it for the first time. It's so alive. I think one of the hardest things for us to 
relate with God the Father is that we have a hard time believing we can be loved like that, that we're worth loving like that. Most of the love that we experience on earth is anything but unconditional. Love on earth is messy and it's manipulative and it's, it's perverted. But listen, Jesus doesn't say pray like this, our Father who is on earth. That's not what he says. Jesus says pray like this, our Father who is in heaven, who is holy. Something that's helped me understand the Father's heart and his love even more is becoming a father. Uh, Dave told you about my three little girls, Grace and Reagan and Maggie. Um, they're amazing, and they've just uh, opened up a, a chamber of my heart I never really understood or knew existed. Um, but listen, you would think that as a father, I would love my kids most when they were doing well or when uh, they were performing well or being obedient, and it's true. When uh, my daughter's playing softball and she strikes out the side, I kind of like, <laughs> that's my girl, and I'm proud of her, and I, 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 you know, I'm, I love that. But I'll tell you when I feel the weight of my fatherhood the most. It's when my girls are struggling or when they're hurting. Let me give you an example. Uh, a few years back, Noel and I were at Disneyland. And let me say something about Disneyland. They, this whole happiest place on earth thing, it's a freaking lie. <laughs> that place is not the happiest place on earth. There's a reason that there is loud music and bands playing. It's to drown out the screams of children <laughs> and parents. It's not the happiest place. I know a million places that are happier than that. We'd been, uh, we'd been there all day long, and this is before we had Maggie. So Reagan, my middle daughter, was like uh, nine months old or something. Uh, I was holding her, and uh, Grace was really young. And so we'd been there all day. It was just a marathon of a day. And, of course, the only thing, um, you know, left is the Christmas parade at night and then the fireworks. And it's like, oh, God. And... Uh, so it's like 9 o'clock at night, and we're standing. We've been, we got our place on the curb like an hour and a half ago, and it's just packed, and everyone's tired. And so I'm holding Reagan, and as happens often as a parent, you have no warning. Um, and it's, it's as if someone unleashed a fire hose of baby vomit just all down my chest, like a bucket of it. And, oh, God, I felt so bad for her, and I'm just, you know, holding her and trying to comfort her. And, and so I handed her to Noel, and I, I was a dumb young father. I flipped it inside out and put it back on. <laughs> I know. Baby vomit is now touching my flesh. But it was cold. I needed a sweatshirt. So... So I'm holding her, and I'm just, you know, praying, and, and I'm just trying to comfort her. And, you know, she responds by just unleashing another wave of vomit all, all over me. So now I'm like Captain America, and I am running with the baby, you know, through the crowds, and the fireworks are firing off behind me. And it's like, get out of the way, get out of the way. And, uh, and I just wanted to get her to a place where she would have, like, some comfort and get changed and... Um, and, man, my heart was just breaking for her, and, um, 
And in that moment, I just, I, I look in her blue eyes and she's just looking back up at me and this innocence and I just delight in her and I'm kissing her and I'm holding her and just comforting her. And my question for you is, do you believe that God the Father sees you that way? In your, in your times of hurt and struggle and brokenness that he delights in you and, and, and he wants to hold you, his heart aches for you. Can you understand the Father this way? We need to realize that God's love is so much greater. It abounds so much more than we think is possible. One way uh, that we can understand God's love better is by spending time in the Father's presence, just being in his presence. It says in Genesis that at, at the end of creation, when everything was created, that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve just walked with God. They just spent time with him and that is the perfect picture of our relationship what heaven is going to be like we just walk with the father and and i can attest to this a few weekends ago noel and i were able to get away it was the first time in years that we uh, went somewhere without the girls and we went to napa and uh, the first thing we did we went out to dinner and after dinner we just walked for like two hours, we just walked, and we held hands, and we arm in arm, and we laughed, and we, we told stories, and we stopped in front of huge, beautiful homes and said, oh, our life would be so much better. <laughs> we enjoyed the vineyards, and it was just an intimate time of us reconnecting together. The problem is that, that we have trouble identifying God as the Father because many of us keep the Father at a distance. We don't have that intimacy with him. In Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life, uh, which is downstairs, uh, I recommend you read it. Paul Miller says this, many Christians haven't stopped believing in God. We just become functional deists, living with God at a distance. We view the world as a box with clearly defined edges. But as we learn to pray well, we discover that this is our Father's world. Because my Father controls everything, I can ask Him, and He will listen and act. Since I am His child, change is possible, and hope is born. How many of us have that intimacy with the Father? What Paul Miller is saying is this, that our prayer life gives us an opportunity to set God in his rightful place to the center of our mind and of our heart, not at a distance. That we have a chance in prayer to walk with God again, hand in hand, just as it was intended at the beginning of eternity. And as we do this, we become more intimate with the Father and we begin to understand who he really is, our protector and our provider, our great love, our comforter and our guide. A father who delights in us and has blessings stored up for us and has a plan and a purpose for us. As we proclaim these attributes and press into the presence of God, we experience transformation, a restoring of our heart and a renewing of our mind. I've talked a lot about how we relate to God and and what we can do to, to understand God, but one thing we haven't talked about is how can God see us this way as his children after all it says that uh, he is holy 
Hallowed be his name. We are not holy. Amen? We are not holy. Here's the answer. Christ. Christ. The same one who offers us the invitation to pray to God as our father and call him our father, he's the one who paid the price for us to have a seat at the father's table. This invitation is so great and so big and powerful. Christ's love is so amazing that when he was nailed to the cross and tortured, do you remember what he cried? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And the Father's love for us was so great that when Christ, who was God in flesh, tortured, nailed to a cross by the ones that he had created, when Christ cries out to the Father, it says that for the first time in all of eternity, the Father turned his face from Christ. Christ experienced rejection from the Father so that we could experience intimacy with our Father. Do you understand the meaning of this? Do we get the weight of this? Remember when we talked about Jesus being baptized and, and he came out of the water and it said that the spirit, uh, that heaven was torn open, spirit is d- descended on Jesus and uh, And the father proclaimed, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, now, because of Christ, God looks at us. He looks at you and he looks at me. And he doesn't see our sin and our brokenness and our failure. He sees Christ crucified. And he pronounces, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. And we are in awe at your love for us. Jesus, we praise you and we thank you that you opened the door, the veil was torn and ripped in that separation of our brokenness that, that removed us from God's presence, you became the bridge inviting us back into the Father with arms open wide. Praise you, God. Lord, I pray that this word would be alive in our hearts and it it would change everything for us, God. It would change the way we think and and the way we we live our lives, Lord, the way we see ourselves and and it would wash away this brokenness and, and the wounds, Lord, as we meditate and as we pray and we seek you in your presence, Lord, that you would transform us back to what you created us to be as children of God. And we love you. We just proclaim your name. Be glorified in us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.